Hey guys, welcome back to Seller Sessions 4pm BST on a Tuesday afternoon. It's that little period between the Christmas season and we're coming up to New Year's Eve on a Thursday. I've got something a bit special planned for Thursday show, but also we've got something very special today as we've brought Megla in and we are going to go in depth. As it's your in depth, we're going to go back your entrepreneurial uh, journey from childhood to where you are today so some of your most early experiences were you entrepreneurial as a kid um i wouldn't say entrepreneurial but i did want to be independent and i did want to uh you know be financially stable and i wanted to earn uh you know be independent and earn a living myself and i started doing part-time jobs um, when I was in school, when I was in 10th grade, after I finished my uh, board exams, they're known as board exams in India, and we had a couple of months break. And so I started um, doing part-time jobs. Uh, I was, you know, like working as a salesperson at a mall, uh, selling shampoos and selling epilators. And also there was one gig that I did where I was selling cigarettes, <laughs> standing yeah. on a roadside stall and just selling cigarettes to people so I was doing all sorts of odd jobs and I also started a company at that time with one of my friends and this was in college later after school um, and we were selling water level indicators <laughs> it's probably you probably don't know what that is no I don't know what it is so yeah. explain what they are is and then the other question is why <laughs> well for why we have to go way back Danny and we yeah. have to start at the beginning <laughs> okay Go on, let's wind yeah. that back then, because that's a uh, tell us what they actually are first, and then why you're selling. Yeah, so water level indicators are these gadgets that you actually put in your water tanker. So in India, what happens is there's uh, you know fresh water. At least at that time, there's fresh water coming in every couple of hours, and then you had to fill in your water tank at home. But people's water tanks were up on their roofs, and they didn't know when the water tank was full and it would overflow. So there was this little gadget that you could put in the water tank, and it would tell you when the tank is full and it would beep inside your kitchen or wherever inside your house so you could turn off the the pump uh, that fills in the tank so we we were selling that and we did um door-to-door -door marketing and telemarketing to sell that but of course it didn't work <laughs> the, but this much. is the thing like for me you're quite reserved like when you know we're good friends but you're quite reserved as a person you knocking on doing telesales because that's a really hard job i mean i i've done it a couple of times when i was a teenager but it's the most horrific thing to do telephone sales or door to door because the level of rejection you get and the wins is like is is tiny, isn't it? I think you get like one out of a hundred yeses. So it takes a lot of uh, self esteem to do that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm actually surprised as knowing you as a person, you were out there knocking on doors and stuff. That but that's good. It's character building, as they say. Um, mm -hmm. So you've done a number of jobs. What age group was this from? So you're still in high school, right? When you're doing these. Yeah, so I was high school, started college, and right through university, um, three years of university, I was doing these part-time jobs and, and working off and on. So what were you studying at uni? Uh, sociology. I did sociology honours, and um, I wanted to do English literature, but I, I didn't get into a good college, so I had to choose between getting into a good college and doing sociology or something else, or not getting into a good college and doing English literature. So I just yeah. decided to go into a good college and yeah. So that was what, what that pushed you in the direction to take that up as a discipline or, or something to study? 
Um, no, I mean, that was just basically to do my graduation, you know, yeah. to, to get a degree. That's that's the reason I, I did my uh, I, I actually wanted to do journalism right after school. And I applied for a, a very prestigious journalism college. I got through the entrance exam, but I couldn't get through um, the oral. They had they had a uh, an oral exam, too. I couldn't get through that. Gotcha. And so then, yeah, my next best best option was just to, you know, go to university, get a regular degree. And then I was saying, yeah, so you, the, the idea between the, the reg, like as you termed it, a regular de- a degree is just so it's on the CV. So it's, it makes you em- employable. That's the reason why you went down that route. So what did you do yeah. when you want, you know, when you were growing up, what did you want to do? What was the dream? So when I was growing up, I did want to be a writer. I did want to do journalism and write. And it's really funny how that came about. Uh, one of my aunts actually moved away to a different city. This was when I was maybe um, 12 or 13 years old. And I was really close to her and she moved to a different city. And I started writing letters to her. And I would write these really long six, seven page letters. And they were funny. And I would tell stories about what I did and you know how things happened. And they used to really enjoy reading my letters. And I used to write you know, one every couple couple of weeks or so and my aunt and uncle and their kids they used to eagerly wait for my letters and and my aunt told me hey you can be a writer you're really good at writing and that just stuck with me and I was like okay that's what I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a writer right gotcha well it's funny because you should say that because obviously there's a lot of people that do like the landing page style um copy you know like the sales copy and do you remember I can't remember we were talking about it on the show a little while ago where that, that old tradition of people doing postcards and, and letters by mail, like in doing sales through um, through copywriting, through letters there. Um, so you hit your teenage years, you've gone into university. Where did, where did you go from there? Um, so after university, um, well, let me talk a little bit about my childhood because Sorry. that sort of leads Apologies. into, yeah, 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 yeah. Leads into yeah. where, you know, I am and sort of shapes who I am today, who I, yeah. who I am yeah, as a person today. So, um, I mean, my childhood was not very pleasant. Um, I would say my, my father was not really around much. And um, in fact, my biological father, uh, he, he died even before I was born. And then my mother got married to somebody else. And, uh, you know, I consider him to be my father. But yeah. when I was around three or four, they kind of separated and um, I was with my mom. And then when I was around seven or eight, she got married to another person. And uh, he was he was not a really nice person. He was very abusive. And he had three kids from uh, a, a previous marriage. And, um, you know, he was abusive to my mom and he used to beat her and, and really very mean to her. And then his sons, who were maybe four or five years older to me, they used to do the same thing to me. So I was, um, you know, and just for no reason, I I still don't understand why. Maybe they just saw what their dad was doing to my mother and they thought it was normal. And, you know, they were trying to just emulate that. And uh, but they would, you know, beat me with cycle chains and cricket bats and slippers and just just for no reason. And I had to endure that for almost two years. And um, it was difficult for my mom also to see me in that situation because she couldn't do anything. She was also sort of powerless and she was trapped in that situation. And um, yeah, it's funny, like when I was around, um, I think, eight or so, um, I actually ran away from from that home because I was just so sick and tired of everything. I just wanted to 
you know, escape. And one day early in the morning, I woke up at around five, six o'clock. Everybody else was sleeping in the house. I just sneaked out of the house and I locked the door from outside. And I didn't know where I would go, what I would do, but I took my toothbrush with me. <laughs> and it's funny now when I think about it, why of all the things, I just took my toothbrush. I didn't take anything else, no clothes, no nothing, but I just don't know what I was thinking at that time. But I just went out and I started walking on the street. And, uh, you know, luckily there was this lady who saw me and she saw that I was kind of lost and, and just uh, walking around with a toothbrush. And she asked me, where are you from? Who are your parents? And she was a nice lady. She took me home. Then she somehow, you know, coaxed me into giving my mother's phone number. And then she called my mother and then, you know, she brought me home. So I was very really lucky that nothing, you know, untoward happened to me on that day. But it was really bad. But after that, my mom realized that, okay, this situation is getting out of hand. And then she sent me to live with my grandmother. And so I lived there for about two or three years. And um, then uh, my mother came out of that situation um, after another two years or so. And um, then when I was around 12 uh, or 13, you know, that's when um, we started living together with my grandparents. And the next 10 years were kind of very unstable because my mom was, you know, she was a single parent. She was struggling. She also had another uh, daughter from the second marriage, uh, my half-sister. And so um, she had a government job, but it didn't pay too well. And she was not very happy with what she was doing. So she quit the government job. Then she tried doing a business. That didn't work. Then she started doing other small jobs here and there. So there was a lot of instability um, throughout that period. And we were always moving houses. We were, you know, sometimes living with our grandparents, then she would have a fight with them, we'd go to another place, then she would move out, then she bought a house somewhere else, and she didn't like that. And after six months, she moved out of there. So I mean, almost every year, we were moving houses. And um, sometimes two or three times a year, we were just moving around. So there was a lot of instability at that time. And um, also, we were not uh, financially, we were not really, um, you know, doing well. Of course, she was a single mom and struggling. So um, at that time, you know, there are a couple of things that I really thought to myself that I would do for myself when I grow up. So first of all, I wanted to have financial stability. I mean, I didn't want to be, you know, super rich or something, but just financial stability. And I wanted to be able to buy whatever I wanted one for myself without having to think twice. Um, you know, growing up, I always saw other kids and their parents pampering them and buying gifts and everything, but we couldn't really afford those sorts of things. And we were just, you know, we, we were going to a good school. And I always thank my mom to sending me uh, for sending me to a really good school and giving me a good education. That's something that she really focused on. Uh, but otherwise, we were basically, you know, just very basic living and, and hand to mouth sometimes, basically. So, um, yeah, so then I wanted financial stability for myself. And then secondly, um, uh, I wanted my own home because we were just moving around so much. And I was just tired of, you know, every six months, just pack your stuff and move. So I wanted my own home. And um, I also wanted um, to be independent. I did not ever want to be dependent on anybody, especially financially. That was something that um, I promised myself, you know, I think in my teens or so, I said, I am always, always going to be financially independent and never going to be dependent on anybody, especially a man. And um, also, I wanted a complete family because growing up, I didn't ever have that 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 set sense of, you know, family. And, and I felt very unloved and lonely. 
And I did not want that for my own child. So I, I wanted a complete family. So yeah, growing up, I knew these are the things that I wanted for myself. And so when I finished university, um, first of all, I, I didn't want to do university because I had got a really good job at a TV station. Uh, this is right after I finished school. I got a part-time job at a TV station. And this is one of the top TV stations in the country. And um, there was a, a TV show that was newly being, that was being launched. And I was helping with that show. And they really liked my work. And they said, hey, why don't you continue working here? We'll give you a full-time job. And I told my mom that, hey, I want to work. I don't want to do college. And this is it. This, you know, I, I want to go into journalism and this is what I want to do. And she said, no, you have to finish your university. That's it. There's no arguing. And I'm kind of glad she did that um, because, you know, in many ways, having that on your CV is really important. So, um, so yeah, I, I did my university. I did sociology. And um, right after university, in fact, three days after my exams finished, I got my job. I started working. I didn't even wait for my results. I'd started applying for jobs even before I finished my exams. And then three days after I finished, I started working. And um, I, I worked with a newspaper. That's where I started. It was a weekly newspaper that was just starting out. And um, I basically helped create the entire newspaper from scratch. So it was just such an amazing feeling. And um, um, you know, those three years in my first job, I put in my heart and soul and and just worked so hard. Um, and I did really well. I was you know, promoted within the first six months. I was promoted. My salary was doubled. And I quickly you know, started taking over more responsibilities. So, yeah, I mean, that's how my career started. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, the reason I kind of skipped over the childhood stuff is because when we spoke last week, you weren't going to be as revealing as you were there. So it's yeah. incredibly uh, courageous of you. Um, yeah, so sorry about that. But um, how do you feel about sharing that now to kind of get off your chest? Yeah, it, um, I was very apprehensive. And I took a couple of weeks just to decide whether or not to do this with you, Danny, right? Because mm. I am a reserved person. And I haven't really talked about this you know, with, with anyone, let alone publicly. <laughs> so, but I think, um, yeah, it's, it, it feels, and I was very jittery and nervous before coming on the show as well. So yeah, but it does feel, I, I do feel lighter and you know, it's, it's off my chest now. <laughs> That's good. I mean, there's stuff in there that you haven't told me that in our, you know, in our private chats and stuff and, you know, things like with chains and God knows what, so I'm sorry that you were put through such an ordeal, but it's good to see you sitting yeah. where you are today and doing what you're doing. But um, yeah, let's carry well, on I with think, your story. Go on. Yeah, but that, that's also shaped me in, uh, you know, some ways. I mean, that those two years are, um, you know, where I've basically seen the worst a person can be or, or you know, a human can be. Hmm. And um, I'm sure, I mean, people, there are people who are, uh, you know, worse than that. But I have seen, like, I would say demons. <laughs> and um, also it's it's made me stronger because I've been through all of that pain. So, you know, uh, sometimes I, I'm not scared to take risks because I think, okay, what is the worst that can happen? I've been through so much pain already. I've, I've seen such, um, you know, horrible people and I've experienced so much um, already. How much, what else can happen? What, 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 what is it? 
that that is worse that can happen right so yeah, I, think I think it's when, once you've hit rock bottom the only way yeah. is up I, I use i have the same analogy in a different way to you it's like losing two children most yeah. people won't ever understand what to lose one let alone two and so that's always been my barometer is like what is the worst that can happen because i feel like that's already done do you know what i mean i've been through that like you so when you make decisions or you get up and you feel like you don't want to face a day or you have stuff going on you always revert back to certain things don't you like i always look to thing being grateful for what i have and not focus what i don't have does that make sense and like what you sit there with your childhood and you know i've uh, haven't told my story about my childhood that's another day but i agree with what you say is that once you've reached a certain a, a place nothing else touches the sides anyway so it makes it easier to make those decisions is the point i'm trying to get to yeah absolutely i to totally agree with that so this yeah. this is part of the the shaping process there's an independent woman and like you said you don't want to be supported by anyone else you want to do this for yourself so you've gone to university where did we go once uh, you graduated yeah so i met my husband in university actually i had known him um since childhood he was neighbors yeah. uh, but then we started to meet and uh, get to know each other in university and um then after i started working i moved out um uh, of, of the house and i started living with my husband we took an apartment and uh then we got married in 2001 and uh, right before that uh, in the year 2000 that's when I started working with global sources and um, my boss at the previous organization that I was at where I started my career he had moved to global sources and he was um, in the Manila office at that time uh, of global sources and he said hey there's this really good opportunity in India for global sources and they're looking for an India bureau chief and I was like India bureau chief that sounds like a very fancy position I'm just like a senior sub editor over here like how can I be India bureau chief you know and then he said no it's really good I'm sure you can do it and uh, he was sort of my mentor and my first uh, boss over there so he really believed in in me and i'm really really grateful for him to you know have given this opportunity to me so then yeah my career with global sources started and that was um you know really really enriching fruitful well-paying career and i really enjoyed my time there so i i uh, worked for them for three years in india and uh, then in 2003 we moved to the philippines so there was uh, an opening in the Philippines uh, at the Global Sources office. They were actually launching these research reports called uh, China Sourcing Reports, mm -hmm. and they were looking for an editor to manage those. And so they had actually um, put out an advertisement in the newspaper in India and also um, um, other places. And so I said, hey, why, why don't I try? And at that time, my husband was running an automobile workshop but his business was not doing too well so he was also looking for alternatives and you know something different to do so we thought hey let's try this you know let's just go outside of india i mean i had been overseas um to other countries but he had never traveled overseas but we didn't really know what to expect in the philippines we thought that hey philippines is all beaches and we're gonna have like a big house by the beach or something like that um, but when we went there, then it was just another crowded city. <laughs> but 
with a lot of poverty, in fact. So, but anyways, we went there, we stayed um, for about three years. It was a bit tough for my husband because it was difficult for him to find a job there. And he was struggling and then he was, uh, he had to come back to India for quite some time because it was just so difficult to find a job over there. And then I was struggling a bit because um, it was a totally new uh, you know, culture, environment for me, because the first time coming out of India and um, all of my bosses were, you know, Americans and Australians and the, my colleagues were, of course, Filipinos, but different culture. So culturally, it was very different and I had to, you know, adjust to that. And I was also trying to be, um, I was trying to do things the way that you know, they would they were writing the reports, for example. So the first report that I wrote, I remember, was on stuffed plush toys. And we had to basically visit factories and write the report. So that was the first time I went to China, 2003, visited stuffed toy factories, and, and I basically wrote a report on that. And, uh, I mean, we also had market analysts in China who went with us to the factories. Um, and then when I wrote the report, I was trying really hard to you know, write the best report, of course, because it was the first one that I was writing. So I read all the previous reports that were written by other colleagues. And I tried to just, you know, emulate them and copy them and, and write the way that they were writing. And then when my boss saw the first draft, he was like, what is this? Are you sure you can write? Is this, you know, what is this crap? I mean, he was just <laughs> almost, he almost said that, like, what is this crap? And I was almost in tears sitting in that office with him. I still remember that. I was like, oh my God, what have I done? I've, this is a big mistake. You know, now they're going to fire me and I'm, I'm going to have to go back to India. And what have I done? And then that was a really difficult time for me because I was, I was really struggling with, you know, how to adjust in this new culture. And then what am I not doing right? And um, you know, I used to go back home and, you know, talk to my husband and we used to discuss and everything. And then I realized that I'm not being myself. You know, I just need to be myself because when I was in India, they liked who I was. But I was trying to emulate the other reports and try to be like them. So then the next report that I did was small kitchen appliances. And we visited coffee factories, I mean, coffee making, uh, coffee machine factories and toasters and all of those things. And I just wrote the report you know, from my heart in just the way that I would. And that was the best report ever. And uh, the, the CEO of Global Sources, he read the report and from everywhere, you know, people were writing emails and, hey, this is a really good report. And that sort of became an example of, you know, how to write a research report. So, um, yeah, and that's how I sort of, you know, found my found myself and my identity over there. Um, and and that, that was a really important lesson for me because, to this day, I, I kind of you know, remember that those times and I remind myself that, hey, I need to be myself. I, I, I don't have to copy other people or, you know, uh, try to emulate other people. I need to be true to myself. And that's the only way that I will be the best um, in what I do. So, yeah, we were there for about three years. And then um, there was a lot of focus on China, of course. China was uh, emerging as a, you know, very uh, as a production hub and exports were increasing significantly. And even global sources, they were focusing a lot on China. They were setting up offices there. And so in 2006, they asked me to move to Shenzhen. Mm-hmm. And um, it was good in a way because, uh, uh, you know, there would be more opportunities for my husband over there. So then 2006, we moved to China. And um, then he started a company in Hong Kong. 
and he started doing a bit of trading over there as well. So nine years in China, probably the best time of my life. <laughs> I mean, I just love uh, Chinese culture and, and the country and the food and the people. And, um, you know, we, we had a good life there. We had good friends. Uh, we were earning well. We had a nice apartment, good job. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a good life then. <laughs> and how long ago was that when you was in China? When did you move out of China? So we moved out in 2015. So we were there for nine years. And then my son was born there as well. Yeah. In 2010, he was born in China. And... Um, yeah, so China was real fun. I, I traveled a lot for work. Um, I traveled to different cities. I set up teams over there. Uh, I, there was a city, Xi'an. Uh, I don't know if you've been there or heard about it, where the terracotta warriors are. Um, no? Terracotta warriors? No? Okay. So there's this huge army of terracotta soldiers, basically, that have been that are buried underground right. for, I don't know, thousands of years. And uh, I can't remember the name of the king, but there was a king who actually created this army, uh, you know, for his to protect him in the afterlife. Gotcha. And it is just such a beautiful city, a very ancient city. And um, there's terracotta warriors and Global Sources had set up an office there. And so I was setting up my team for the research reports over there. So I used to travel there. Uh, we traveled within China f um, a lot, Beijing, um, you know, to different cities. So that was a really good time uh, for us, r fun times, and, and also a lot of learning, a lot of traveling, a lot of learning, um, visiting lots and lots of factories and all sorts of cities in China and, um, you know, like rural areas sitting um, in a tractor <laughs> going to a factory somewhere inland. So yeah, that was and that then, was a and, and good time. Is that you? Le when you left China, you went to Singapore. Yes, and so as my son was growing up, you know, we had to uh, think about his education, and so that's why we decided to come to Singapore. And I asked Global Sources for a transfer because they have an office in Singapore, and uh, you know they they agreed. And I mean, Global Sources is an amazing employer, really. I, I have so much to be grateful for uh, to Global Sources. So. Yeah, I mean, 2015, we moved here to Singapore. Yeah, and then what came next? Yeah, what came next was um, tragedy. I mean, it was just unexpected. Uh, 2017, in April, I lost my husband to a heart attack. And um, that was like, you know, the, the biggest loss, of course, that anyone can, I think, um, experience. So, what yeah, that was just devastating. You were you were organising the October one, was it, 2017 Global Sources? When this happened, you were in Hong Kong, weren't you? Yeah, I was in Hong Kong, and uh, that was in April 2017. April. Yes. Sorry, yeah. And I was in Hong Kong. Um, the, the summit was going to start the next day, so this was a day before the summit that he had a heart attack, and my son FaceTimed me in the morning, and um, he said, Mom, look, look what's happening to Papa. And the, the you know, doctors are over here. We call the ambulance and everything. And he was basically, um, you know, having a heart attack at that time. And the ambulance came really quickly and they took him to hospital. But it was such a massive heart attack. He, they were not able to save him. So, I mean, I came back the same day 
but he just went into a coma and he didn't come out of it. So the next day, April 17th, he passed away. Wow. And so you didn't get a a chance to say your goodbyes either face to face? No, nothing at all. And I I feel so, I mean, I I don't, not guilty because... You didn't get the closure. The closure, yeah. And there was no... um, indication that this would happen. I mean, he did have high blood pressure and he was a smoker and, you know, he had diabetes. He had all of that at a very young age, but there was no indication of, you know, a heart attack, no Mm. chest pain or no, you know, just no warning signs at all. So that was something that totally devastated me. And at that time, um, you know, I just didn't know what to do. And at one point I really was thinking of just ending our lives because I didn't know how to, uh, how I could, you know, keep going hmm. alone. Cause he was literally my rock. And, um, you know, we were really, really close. I mean, of course, like every husband and wife, we had our quarrels and fights and everything disagreements, but we were really close. And, um, um, so yeah, I mean, we were, you know, we used to complete each other's sentences and I knew what he was feeling and what he wanted when, and, and vice versa. So we were really close. And, and so that was like very, very devastating to me. In fact, uh, I think it's just because of my son that I'm here today. If it weren't for my son, I, yeah, I don't think I'd be able to survive. I'm I'm sure there's a lot of people around you would uh, question that as well. The only reason is to be for your son, because you've got a lot of people around you that love you, including your friends. I lost you there, Meglo. The screen's frozen. Are you back? Yeah, I'm back. Yeah. Now, I was just saying that there is more than one reason to stay around other than your, your son, because there's a lot of people around you that love you, including your friends. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's right. So let's talk about picking up the pieces. So you go back home. Your son's obviously witnessed all this as well. He got yeah. some closure by being, did he get to speak to your husband as well? or? Well, not really, because, um, yeah, I mean, he, because my husband didn't know what was happening to him as well, right? I mean, he just had this heart attack, and then he was, you know, he was just, the last thing I heard my husband saying, this is on FaceTime, he's talking to the doctors, you know, who who had come to get him, he said that my insurance card is in my wallet. Those are the last words that I heard him speak and um, yeah, I mean, even at that time he was thinking about insurance and expenses and, you know, like not, not to be burdensome on me, I guess. Well, well, this is the thing I think as a father, as a husband, I think, and and I think I speak for most men is that, you know, I know we've got feminism and, and independence and agency for a man and a woman to do their own thing. But I think men are generally, you know, if they left their families, they're thinking, oh, shit, this is going through my mind. What's happening on here? I need to make sure my family is safe. So he was thinking of yeah. you at that time. I know you yeah. want to hear different words. Yeah. But the reality is he's thinking, what do I leave behind for my my wife and, and my son? So he's yeah. actually thinking of you instead of himself. And I think that's a typical exactly. of, a, of a guy mm-hmm. that, you know, like on a biological level, if you go back hundreds and thousands of years or as far back you want, hunter gatherer like men generally want to be providers as well i know women can provide for themselves but i think it's built into us biologically that that's who we are you know we want to 
we wanted to to make sure those things are right and i think most men would have the same thing so what i'm saying to you is don't see that as a any way as a, a negative and i know you'd probably want to hear different words but yeah. he was just thinking of used to first i think yeah 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 that's what i think too that, that he was thinking of us um yeah. in yeah so the building blocks we're we're back home and he took some time out of course from global sources yeah i took some time off but then i i did go back uh, you know fairly quickly because i, I needed to get busy otherwise it was uh you know I, w- I would go into a depression if i didn't do that hmm. so yeah I, I needed to keep myself busy um started going back to work uh and everything and um we we were just trying to get back to normal i mean I'm just trying to move forward hmm. you know uh, i mean you can never um like you can never forget right i mean there's always there people who leave us they're always with us but you can just try to move forward and move on with your life in some way so that's what we were just trying to do and um it it was really difficult initially because um you know there's so much pain and i used to feel physical pain in in my you know chest and i used to think oh my god am i having a heart attack because that's that was my fear too because now he's gone what if something happens to me and then what's going to happen to my son who's going to take care of him so yeah. that was a huge fear and i actually went to the doctor once i was like i i've got this pain in my chest and you know the doctor said that this is just you know physical pain that you're experiencing because of your loss it's true there's nothing wrong you're, you're, you're physically yeah. when 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 someone you know like you push stuff to the back of your mind right you don't deal with it you pay a physical price on a physiological level as well so trauma if you don't mentally process and go through the healing process itself and get that out your system physically your body will break down because it's carrying that trauma as well so i i understand when someone says like you're physically in pain people might go what you're a bit crazy this that and the other but it's it has to come the grieving process has to take place at some point and if you hold it in on a mental level you'll process process on a, a physical level um i'm trying to think of it there's a there's a great book that you might want to read i'll tell you the title of it now someone mentioned it the other day and i think is it the is one a, written by cheryl sandberg is it that one no 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 this book is let me have a look it's called the body keeps score and what okay. that talks about is that people that have issues with their health and stuff is there's if you go back to the tri- childhood and stuff like that, people don't process their trauma. They they don't want to look there. Right. So they put it to the back of their mind. And so what they're talking about on a phys- physical level of how that acts on your body and the pressure it puts on your body. And this is where it leads to various other diseases with inside of the body. And it's called the the. The body keeps score, I think it is. One sec, let me tell you again. Yeah, it's called the body keeps uh, score by. I won't even bother trying to pronounce the name, but people can search <laughs> that title. But yeah, I mean, yeah. obviously, there's not enough proven science behind it as we know it in the in the what's the word for it? Like ubiquitous science, because people go, oh well, you know, you're not going to process. If someone hits you, you feel physical pain, but. Yeah. I think it's the same with, um, yeah. So it's definitely a book that to, to, I'm, I'm going off track here because it's uh, obviously this story's been upsetting me as well. Um, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So the, 
what were some of the building blocks coming back for you? What what have you done to help with the healing process? Well, I really just focused on, you know, my son. And um, there were times when I used to feel myself going into a depression and just um, spiraling downwards. And then I had to, you know, um, consciously lift myself up. And, you know, I had to remind myself that, hey, my son depends on me and I cannot go into depression and I need to take care of myself in order to, you know, take care of him. So he was really my driving force. And um, then, of course, I was really focused on my work and, you know, still doing the summit. And then six months later, I went back to Hong Kong, which was, again, so torturous. You know, the same room. You know, you've, you've stayed at the Regal Hotel, right? All the rooms yeah. have the same layout. And so I went back to the same, you know, it looked like the exact same room from mm. April. When they're called emotional flashbacks. Yeah, they're called yeah. emotional fl- flashbacks. If you do, I think it's called hand monomics. Look into that and it helps you with your emotional literacy and reduce the emotional flashbacks from that. But I understand mm. what you're saying because you're going back to the same place. It's like that camera roll that plays over and over in your head. And uh, yeah, it's just trying to get beyond that. So yeah. you've had a few summits since then. So it was the toughest time going back the first time and getting that familiarity and then what was it like after was it a bit easier for you yeah the second time was much easier the first time was really difficult but i had to still do it of course and then when i went um, you know for the summit the first day i was physically sick again i right before i went on stage and you know inaugurated the summit and everything i went to the bathroom and i actually just puked (laughs) so i was physically feeling so sick um but then yeah i mean I, i sort of just pulled through somehow I had a great team supporting me and helping me and of course you know meeting everybody um, that was great so yeah I mean since then I've done quite a few summits until um, so 2007 uh, 2017 my husband passed and in 2018 Hmm. um, Global Source announced that they would close the Singapore office so that was another big blow for me at that time Hmm. because you know I thought that okay at least I have my job and I love my job and I have security I have financial security with the job but then they announced that they were closing the Singapore office and they would retrench everybody um, or you could you know go back you could move to Hong Kong relocate to Hong Kong or or China but I didn't want to do that I really liked it here so then I had to think of other options and, um, you know, luckily we had almost a year to to plan. I mean, they told us way in advance. So that was a really good thing. So we had time to plan. And within that one year, I was, um, you know, still very confused about what I really wanted to do after Global Sources. So I was thinking of maybe relocating to another country, moving back to India, starting my business, looking for another job. I was just kind of all over the place. And I tried different things, didn't work. And then finally, um, interestingly, C.J. Rosenbaum uh, from Amazon Sellers Lawyer, he had at one time mentioned that, hey, why don't you start a trip to India? Hmm. Because, you know, the trade war and all had started at that time. And he was getting requests from people to uh, for suppliers in India. And so he threw that suggestion out to me. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's a good idea. I haven't thought about that. And that's when I started thinking about this, this trip. And uh, then in 2000. 19 early 2019 i started working on it and then june 2019 was going to be my last day with global so i mean my last uh, month with global sources so i had to do something 
you know, by then. So then in January 2019, I started working on the trip and did a lot of background research and went to India, talked to a lot of people um, and started putting this trip together. And then I launched it in June and I sold the first ticket three days before my last day at Global Sources. So I was so happy about that. So that was the crossover. So you were in a position where you'd lost your husband. The yeah. the Global Sources event was starting to come to an end. You were looking to where to go next. And uh, you've kind of then literally gone and launched on your own now, haven't you, in terms of what you're doing now. So we're, we're here where we are today. I mean, how many trips have you done now? Is it two or one so far? It's just one. I mean, sadly, you know, the, the one that I did was in October 2019. And then, of course, um, COVID hit after that. Hmm. So I couldn't do the trips in, in 2020. But the first trip was really, really good. And I just put my heart and soul into it. And everybody had such a great time. And uh, I just can't wait to go back yeah. <laughs> to start doing those trips again. Yeah. So what, what, what's next for you? Yeah, so 2020 was a very difficult year because, um, you know, of course, the trips, uh, I couldn't do the trips and I was planning to do other events as well. In Singapore, I was planning to do a conference. I was planning to do a trip to China as well. So couldn't do any of those things. Um, and then, you know, luckily, uh, Global Sources, um, I, I had Global Sources, um, the summits, I was still doing the summits for them as a consultant. So I had, you know, some um, revenue coming in from there. Uh, took on a few more consultancy kind of uh, jobs. And then um, Margaret and Kevin, they've been my partners for this other venture, Virtual India Sourcing Show. So I've tried to pivot to virtual events a little bit more uh, in, in 2020. And uh, we've been a bit successful with those kinds of virtual events. So 2021, we're planning to expand those services and, and trying to help people uh, source from India, uh, trying to offer all sorts of services ranging from sourcing to logistics to uh, inspections, just sort of an end-to-end -end platform where people can source, um, you know, source products from India. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I think you've had a, an incredible story there. I'm really glad that things have turned around for you. Um, so next question really is uh, money or legacy? Legacy, for sure. I mean, that's something that I've always wanted. Um, I've, when I was growing up, I wanted to start a school for, for poor girls in India. That has always been my dream. I wanted to start a school. And this is from school because one time when, I, when we were in school, there was this nonprofit that came over to our school and they had this educational program called Each One Teach One. And they said that if every person in India who's educated, if they can uh, educate or teach just the alphabet to you know a, an, a, an uneducated person, that will really make a huge difference. And so that really stuck with me. And I always wanted to build a school for for poor girls, specifically girls, because in India, um, you know, sadly, girls are um, not well educated, and they still kind of prioritize, you know, boys over girls. So that's something that I wanted to do. I haven't been able to do that yet, hopefully someday, but I am sponsoring kids in India. Um, through an, a non-profit organization. I've been doing that for quite a few years. And even when we went on the trip, um, I, I got each person who went with us on the trip to sponsor uh, a child in India. And uh, I mean, we just paid from the 
paid for the child from the ticket price that they had paid. So, I mean, they didn't have to pay anything extra. But yeah, so legacy for sure. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, how would you like to be remembered? I would like to be remembered as somebody who had empathy, who could empathize with people, because I feel that that is such an important thing. And a lot of people don't have empathy. Um, and to me, it comes naturally. I think maybe it's because of my experiences and the pain that I have experienced. I can immediately feel other people's pain and I can yeah. really empathize with people. So I think that's something that's that's very important. And whether it's your personal life or professional or business, empathy is really important. Yeah, no, without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, thank you for coming on today and thank you for sharing your story. Um, what's the best way that people can reach you? Well, the best way is to join my Facebook group. It's called mm. Sourcing from India, Amazon FBA Private Label. So join the group and reach out to me on Messenger. Excellent. Guys, I'll be back here 4 p.m. BST tomorrow. We've got Mike Jackness joining us tomorrow. We're going to be doing an in-depth. And then on Thursday, if I can get the streaming working, we won't be a traditional podcast. We're going to do a New Year's Eve pre-drinks party. And uh, I'll be DJing and we're going to be playing a load of old school hip hop and party records as well. So a little of experiment and uh, it's me coming out of retirement after 12 years. The last time I was DJing here in public. <laughs> but um, we'll see how it goes. Uh, it might be a complete mess, but we'll give it a go. Uh, so I'll yeah, be back absolutely. here 4pm tomorrow. Megla, again, thank you for joining today and take care. See you soon. Thank Bye. you. Thank you, Jenny. Bye.